Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Sense of the presence of the Lord in the house this morning. I hope he's speaking to your heart. I hope you'd be blessed at being in the house of God today. You that are watching online, thank you so much for being with us today. I don't know if you guys know it, but we've got about 350 people that watch the service online, live stream on Sunday mornings, and then a couple thousand more during the course of the week. So online ministries have become a very, very important part of our church family, and we thank you guys for tuning in being a part of what God is doing here. Can we just welcome them to the service as well? Amen. <coughs> I've got a good friend that leads a church uh, that's a multi-site church in Virginia and Florida and different places. He now calls their church an online church with a physical presence. <laughs> we aren't there yet, but that's the reality of the world that we're in. So let's get into the message today. I was thinking this week as we're kind of preparing, preparing for, uh, for this sermon series about a time a few, just a few years ago when I had the chance to tour the Atlantic Command Center of the Coast Guard Search and Rescue Operations. I don't know if there's any Coasties among us today, but we lived in Hampton Roads. And any Coasties here today? Any former Coasties? Yeah, Mike and Debbie. I appreciate you guys. We lived in Hampton Roads uh, at, uh, for many, many years, and the Portsmouth uh, Coast Guard base was there. And, of course, we got, had a lot of Coasties in our church. And so I had a chance to, to visit that, that command center for search and rescue. And Commander Jones was showing me around. And while we're doing that, I'm, I'm in awe of all the equipment and stuff. And he tells me the story of Bobby Lamb, who thought it was his lucky day when he discovered or found out that there was a sailing vessel 100 miles out that had been abandoned and was available for salvage. Anybody, anybody just first come, first serve, go get it. And so he got a couple of friends of his to go out in a little skiff and went out there and found this thing. And then a storm came up and... Tragically enough, uh, both the skiff and the boat sunk and two of his friends died and, and Bobby winds up in the ocean floating on debris. Of course, the beacon goes off and the Coast Guard uh, uh, scrambles the search and rescue people and they go out and start doing grid searches by air, trying to find him out there in the ocean, see if anybody's there. And they search for 16 hours and we're about to give up the search when one of the youngest crewmen said, no, no, wait, 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 can we make just one more pass? It's, well, there's enough light for one more pass. And so he lowered the ramp on the back of the plane. He laid right down on his stomach and studied the ocean below. And as they made that one more pass, they spotted Bobby on the debris, and they found him, and they sent a helicopter, and they got him, and they rescued him and saved his life. And Commander Jones is telling me that story, and the hair standing up on the back of my neck, and I'm just overwhelmed by how that young crewman must have felt. I mean, everybody for that matter, but that young crewman who said, no, 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 we got we, we to gotta try one more time, and he, and he just literally put himself out there on that ramp in open air and just really put himself out there, and the result was he saved this guy's life. As I thought about that, I got to thinking, you know, I don't know how that feels, but I do kind of have a glimpse of, of something that's similar and in some ways even more important because I've had the privilege, I guess, as a pastor to be at the deathbed of any number of people, several people over the years who looked at me knowing that it was coming and saying, Pastor, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm just, I'm just not ready to meet God. And I had the privilege of, of praying with them to receive Christ and and settle that, make peace with God before they went to stand in front of him. And so in a very real sense, I do know how it feels to save an eternal life, if not a physical one. I said all of that to say it stuns me when I see surveys and statistics, and I'm going to bore you with the numbers, but the surveys and statistics that tell me the vast majority of followers of Jesus Christ never know that feeling. They never have that experience. They never come to that place, either physically or spiritually, where they've actually helped someone who would have been lost forever 
be found. They just never have that experience. In fact, for a huge percentage of Christians, uh, church becomes, Christianity becomes about, you know, going to church and, and singing some songs and hearing a sermon and shaking hands and maybe have a fellowship dinner, join a small group. And that's, that's kind of what church is about. And somewhere along the way, we forget that the primary reason for the existence of the church, the reason that, that Jesus brought the church into existence was not just the fellowship of the saints, it was so that we could reach the world that desperately need Jesus. In fact, I'll say it this way, the church is the only organism on the planet that exists solely for the, for the sake of those who aren't yet part of it. And it shocks a lot of Christians when they hear that kind of language because it just isn't just doesn't register. It's kind of like the famous story when I was in college. My undergrad was in business, and I took a lot of marketing classes. And, uh, and I took a class on marketing where they told the story of the London bus company from many years ago. I don't know the time frame. But <coughs> they got into this kind of season where buses were passing by the bus stops. The passengers were there on time. They were at the right place. And the bus would just go right past them. And people started complaining. They said, wait a minute, I don't. I was there, I had my fare, I was on time, and I don't know why the bus passed right past me. And, the, and this is absolutely a true story, you can Google it. The London Bus Company put out a quote, they put out a press release that said this, I wrote it down to make sure I get it right, we understand and sympathize with your frustration, however, it is impossible for us to maintain our schedules if we're always having to stop and pick up passengers. As absurd as that sounds, that's exactly what a lot of churches do. It's, it's impossible for us to stay on schedule. It's impossible for us to stay on budget. It's impossible for us to serve the people that are already here if we're always thinking about picking up new passengers. But in fact, that's exactly what Jesus said we're supposed to be doing. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 from the NIV, go make disciples. Does that sound like a suggestion to you? Does it sound like a, maybe an idea you ought to think about? It sounds like a command to me. The implied word is you. Go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I'll say it again. The church is the only organism on the planet that exists solely for the purpose of helping people who aren't yet part of it. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. I've given my whole life to, to building and starting local churches because I believe above everything else, whatever online stuff you do, whatever mass, mass crusades you do, whatever television stuff you do, at the end of the day, the church, the body of Christ is the hope of the world. Around here we call it giving life. By You want to say it? By giving so we're kicking off a new series today we're calling Chain Reaction, and we're kind of building our way up to Easter as we think about that, that season when Christ paid the price for our sins. We'll be talking about that on Palm Sunday, and of course Easter Sunday we'll come together and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, and as we build up to that, <coughs> that uh, those special weekends, we're going to be talking about this idea of what if. W what if the event that I call giving my life to Jesus Christ, turning over new Leaf, no, getting a new life, that event. What if that event actually touched 
the life of someone who was close to me and they had their own event and then their event touched the life of somebody that was close to them and they had their own event and what if we created a chain reaction of those life-changing Christ-centered events I wonder how long it would actually take to reach the known world I wonder maybe pipe dream maybe idiot optimism but they did it in the first century they reached the known world in one lifetime and I just believe we can do it again. I'm going to challenge us to consider it. We're doing that by looking at a formula that Mark Middleberg wrote many years ago in a book called Contagious Christianity. So let me tell you what the formula is. It's going to be the breakdown for the whole series. Uh, the, the, the formula is this, high potency plus cro- close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but let's unpack it just a little bit. High potency, in other words, when you as a Christian are potent in your faith, when you are strong and effective and vibrant in your faith, and then you add that to being in close proximity with people who need Jesus, you're close enough to actually communicate and share the love of Jesus Christ with them, and add that to the ability to communicate clearly what it is you're trying to convey, You put those three things together, then you maximize the potential for reaching people for Christ. And so that's what we're going to do over the next four or five weeks leading up to Easter Sunday is we're going to talk about that formula. We're going to week by week, we're going to unpack that, and we're going to try to teach you everything you need to know in order to be this effective Christian to do what the church was called to do. Today, of course, we're talking about uh, high potency, and I want to do that by doing uh, three things. First of all, I I want us to just... um, I want us to take an honest look at why it's so hard. Why is it that the percentages say that, that very few Christians ever actually have that experience? Why is it so hard? Let's talk about that a little bit and challenge ourselves uh, a little bit on that area. Then I want to actually give you a homework assignment to get started. Over the next four or five weeks, we'll be doing a lot of things together. You'll be doing some things alone. And I want to give you a homework assignment. But first, let's just, let's just look quickly at the two-part system that Jesus gave us for, for what Mark Middleberg calls high potency, the two-part system that he gave us for giving life. It's probably familiar if you've been in church very long at all, but let's just unpack it get it in our heads, okay? First of all, Jesus said, if we want to give life, then we got to be salty. we got to be salty. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. I think there's three reasons why he gave us that metaphor. We're not going to spend much time on it, just get our thoughts going. I think there's three reasons. What does salt do? Somebody say salt adds flavor. Does food taste better with salt? Yeah, it does. We love salt. Somebody told me years ago that J.C. Penney had a, a, a practice when he interviewed somebody to join his corporate headquarters. He would take them to lunch, and if they salted their food before they ate, he would not hire them because he considered themselves foolish risk takers. My response to that is, J.C. Penney never would have hired me, buddy, because I think salt adds zest. I think it adds life. I think it's, I think it's yeah, wow. Of course, J.C. Penney's gone under since then anyway, so I, but there ought to be some risks in life, but I, I, that's just a side issue, okay? I, for me, salt puts the zing in. Can I just tell you that I think that ought to be true for Christians? That we ought to be the ones putting zing in life? That we ought to be the ones that laugh the quickest, that roll with the punches the easiest. I mean, we live in a world, we got punches, you got punches, I got punches. 
But we ought to be the ones that roll with that. We're the ones that have fun because we can have fun without the kickbacks. You know, I can't remember the last time, uh, never, that I woke up worried if a jealous husband was coming after me. I just ne- That's just not something I worry about. I can't remember the last time, never, that I woke up with a hangover. I'm just never, it's not something I have to worry about. But, man, I have a lot of fun. That's, that's what Christianity is supposed to be about. Listen, when we've settled the, the I know what's going to happen after I die deal, then you can get off the, the keep up with the Joneses treadmill and actually start investing in life and enjoying life and, and, and investing in some people to help them find what you have found. The second thing that leads to is that I think salt extends life. Is that true? I know, I know too much salt can be uh, unhealthy for bodies, but understand Jesus was talking about this in the days when, uh, when they didn't have refrigeration, and so he's talking to these first century fishermen who would fish all night, catch the fish, they'd salt them down so they wouldn't spoil before they could get them to market and get them into people's homes, and so salt was a preservative that kept those things going. I don't know uh, how long it would have been before they spoiled without the salt, but I do know salt kept them going, and in time we have refrigeration uh, to take care of that. We, a couple of times in our married life, have had uh, re- electricity to go off after a hurricane or something like that. And I remember one particular time, uh, Hurricane Isabel came through and, and we lost power for two weeks. And we ate everything out of the freezer we could. And, and at the end of the whole time, you know, we got our electricity back and, and Kim says, I-, I got good news. I said, yeah, what's that? She said, we get to start all over again with fresh food because <laughs> everything was gone. That's what Jesus is saying. It's our job to hold back the decay. So, so is our world getting better or what's a? Could it be because we've lost some of our saltiness? It's just a question. Don't get mad at me. Um. We can't do anything about what all the other Christians are doing, but we can ask ourselves honest questions sometimes. The third thing that salt does is it makes you thirsty. It produces thirst. I'm told that if you go to a bar, they give away uh, free, highly salted peanuts. Anybody, is that, is that true? You don't have to answer that question in church. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just told that by some of the members of our church. No, I'm interested. I mean, <laughs> Why do they do that? Because thirsty patrons buy more drinks, right? So they know what they're doing because salt makes you thirsty. So when Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, he's saying it's your job to go out there and make people thirsty for me. That's what he's saying. Then he added a second metaphor to this potency thing, and it was, it was light. He said, yeah, you're supposed to be salty, but then you're supposed to carry the light. Verse 14 in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. A couple of quick characteristics about light. What does light do? First of all, light dispels the darkness, right? You walk into this room, turn the lights on. Uh, there's no battle between light and darkness. When the light comes on, the darkness flees to the corners. That's what it does. Uh, that's how light works. First Peter 2.9, you are the chosen people, God's holy nation. This is so you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. One of my favorite events in the calendar of our year is the Christmas Eve service. How many have been to a bridge Christmas Eve service before? 
Yeah, most of you, uh, if you haven't, then be sure to check it out this year because they're wonderful events. And one of the reasons that I love that event is that we all light a candle, which represents Christ in our lives, and that's the, he's the light of the world, and, and that candle represents us. And I, I, you don't have the privilege of doing this, I guess, but I stand back here on this stage with the room darkened and the only light in the room is those candles, and I just get goosebumps every time. But what you may not know or realize is that's what I see every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning I walk out and I see the light of Christ just all over you guys. And then when I say, God bless you, thanks for coming, see you next week, I see those specks of light walking out the door into the world. That's why we got a sign out there that says the church has left the building because this isn't the church. You're the church. We're the church. And our job is to go out there and, and show the light, to be that light to the world it, it dispels the darkness. It pushes the darkness back, and then it exposes the truth. Let's be honest. One of the greatest fears we have, we'll get into this in a minute, but one of the greatest fears we have about sharing our faith with other people is, is we, we might get it wrong. We might get all twisted up. We, we, we might not know the answer to a question that they're asking us. And so during this series, we're going to help you with that on the Clear Communication Day. We're going to talk a little bit about how you can do this simply and effectively um, without being put in those kind of positions. But the bottom line is, it's our job wherever we go, whether it's the Little League ball game or the company picnic or, or, or on the golf course or wherever we go, it's our job uh, to, be, to dispel darkness and illuminate truth. That, that's our job. John 8, 12, Jesus said to his people, I am the light of the world. You follow me. You won't be stumbling through the darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now, you put John 8 and 1 Peter together, and what do you get? You get Jesus saying, I'm giving you the light so that you can have the advantage of having the light, but I'm not giving it to you just for you. I'm giving it to you so you can share it with everybody around you. That becomes our task. We become reflections of his light, illuminating truth, dispelling darkness wherever we go. That's our job. So let's get into it. Why is it so hard? I mean, if the number one command, it's called the Great Commission, if the number one mission of the church is to go into all the world and make disciples, baptize and teach them, and if we're called to be salt and light in the world, then why is it so hard? I think there are several reasons why people find it difficult. You see if you relate to one of these. For many people, I think it's, just, it's an issue of confidence. I mean, we get so worried that, we, that we'll mess up, we won't even try. And, you know, we get so insecure about it. And, and, and Satan succeeds in shutting our mouths completely because we're not sure how they're going to react. Guys, if you make the commitment to share your faith, let me tell you now, it's not a question of if you're ever going to mess it up. It's a question of when. I mean, we're not perfect people. But hear me, people who are genuinely concerned about a, about a, a, a spiritual void in their life are not parsing your verbs. They're not checking your grammar. They're not throwing hard questions to trip you up. People that are actually aware of the fact that they need God in their lives are, are, are hoping somebody will throw them a lifeline. That's all they want. And so we've got to be not so concerned with, with whether they're going to ask us a trivial question. Can God make a weight so heavy that he cannot lift it? <sighs> I had a guy ask me that one time, and I said, so, so do you feel good about yourself having 
come up with an impossible question to maybe trip me up? Is that, is that you, you feel good now? <laughs> you know what to do with that one. I just say, this, you know, hear me. If they're open to the Holy Spirit's call, the message gets in, even if they don't react to it in the moment you say it. They go away and the Holy Spirit does his jobs. But the bottom line is if we don't overcome our insecurities, we'll never tell the good news. So let's be honest about this stuff. All of us feel insecure sometimes. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. All of us feel insecure sometimes. And yes, when we find ourselves in a position to share our faith with somebody that we don't know very well and we're not sure how they're going to take it, we, we can get very insecure and we can shut our mouths. So here's the scripture for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we can do anything of lasting value by ourselves. Our only power and success come from God. He is the one who has enabled us to represent his new covenant. He's called us to be his representatives. We are sent out as ambassadors of this new relationship that you can have with God that's not based in the law like it was in the Old Testament, but it's based in grace because of what Christ did for us on Calvary, and he sent you out, and you can go in confidence, not in yourselves, but in who? The one who sent you. You get to go out there in the authority of the one who sent you and you can trust that your words will have impact even though you're not necessarily going to do it perfectly, which leads me to the second one, uh, and that is for, for far too many, I'm afraid. It's an issue of character. Jesus said we're salt, but he went on to say, verse 13, what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can, it, can you make it useful again? Will it be thrown out? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Truth be known, there are an awful lot of people who name the name of Jesus Christ, but they never share their faith with anybody because they know it wouldn't be a credible word. I have a good friend that's given me permission to share his story. I won't mention his name, but uh, he came to Christ several years ago. Uh, one Sunday morning, I had the privilege to pray with him to receive Christ. He was a longshoreman on the, on the docks in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is a rough environment in case you didn't know. Uh, but he came to Christ and he was excited about his new faith and he started raising his family in the faith. His wife came to the Lord. His teenage children came to the Lord. Wonderful things were going on. But what most of us, none of us really knew is that he continued to live a double life for a long time. He'd go down to the, to the docks and he'd be a longshoreman. He'd come to church and he'd be this in love with Jesus Christian guy and it came home to him one day when he's in a business meeting uh, because he became president of the union and he's in a business meeting, a union meeting with all these workers and at the end of the meeting this guy sitting across the table from him said, I know you from somewhere. No, I don't think so. Yeah, 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 we, we met somewhere. I don't know exactly where it is but you, you look really familiar to me. Uh, give me a minute I'll think about it. He said, well, do you go here? Do you go there? Do you shop here? Do you shop there? Do you go to community church? And Wayne said, yes. Because <laughs> he knew that the colorful metaphors that he had been using throughout that meeting were contradictory to everything that he claimed to be in Christ. And he went home ashamed and immediately called me and said, Pastor, you've got to pray with me because I've got to break this thing. 
because here I am in an environment where I can be salt and I can be light, but I don't have the character, the moral authority to do it. For some people, it's a character issue. Again, if that's you, then you can't do anything about the past, but you can make a decision about the future. You can make a commitment here and now to change and begin to live up to the standards that God's called yourself to. So ask yourself the question, do the people at work, the people in your family, the people in your neighborhood see the same person there that they see here? If not, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Because there's too much at stake not to do something about it. Like the guy who said to me one day, Pastor, I bought one of them bridge stickers, and then I decided I better not put it on my car because I'm a really bad driver. (laughs) For some people, it's an issue of confidence. For others, it's an issue of character. For three, for for some, third, uh, it's actually a lack of concern. Got a pastor friend of mine, we were having lunch just a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this very subject, and he said, you know, I don't know what to do. He said, when I start talking about this subject in my church, I can see it. He pastors a little small church in a small town, and so he can, you know, make eye contact with everybody, and they're all in close proximity as he's preaching. But he, he said, when I start talking about this subject in my church, I can see them. They bow their heads, they avert their eyes, they look over to the side until I change the subject and they look back at me. They don't want to hear it. They just don't want to hear it. And I don't know how to break through the apathy. I can teach them the skills and, 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 and I can challenge them to be salt and light, but at the end of the day, if they don't want to, I don't know what to do about that. I read a news article some time ago from Massachusetts. Uh, several years ago, a man... Uh, was watching another man fish. He's sitting out on a, on a pier, and he's reading his newspaper, and he's watching another at the, guy at the end of the pier uh, fishing, and the fisherman fell in, and, and, he, and he couldn't swim, apparently. And he's thrashing about, calling for help, and the guy just watched him drown while he read his newspaper, just sat there, did nothing. The community got in such an outrage that eventually uh, the family sued the guy for not helping, and it went to the Massachusetts court systems, and, uh, and the Massachusetts courts ruled, I kid you not, the law says just because he could have helped didn't require that he help. Can I be clear about this one? Apathy may not be illegal, but it's immoral. And for us to be apathetic about the te- fact that I got my ticket punched, I'm going to heaven, have whatever happens to you, buddy, I'm busy. I got a newspaper to read, is just as immoral. I, you know, if, if, if I look back over my life and, and, I, and, I, and you ask me what's the hallmark of your life, th- this would be it, guys. This would be it. This is the passion that drives me. This is what wakes me up every morning. You know, I'm, my resume says I lead churches and I start churches and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's about emptying hell and populating heaven. This is what drives me. So when I come across somebody that goes, well, yeah, but I'm kind of busy, I don't know how to deal with that. I don't, I don't know how to relate to that kind of idea at all. How can you... How can you find Jesus and the fresh start that comes from it and the new life and the forgiveness and the grace and not be driven to give it away? I don't get it. If you had a cure for cancer, you'd be calling a press conference. 
And so maybe, maybe I'm preaching to the walls and nobody is falling into this trap. I hope not, but if you are, please hear me. I, I love you and I want you to know the truth. And here's the truth. To ignore 70,000 people in Wayne County alone that never darken the door of a church. It may not be illegal, but it's immoral. To recognize there are 400,000 people that live within the sphere of influence of the different locations of the bridge and not do everything we can do every waking hour is not illegal, but it's immoral. Why does our church grow? Not to be a big church. Oh, come on. is isn't about growing a church. Nothing we ever do is about growing a church. It's about there's still people out there that need Jesus. And that's why we don't set attendance goals and, you know, how many people we're going to have in church on Sunday. I, I, that's irrelevant. I couldn't care less. What I want to know, is there anybody out there that needs Jesus? What are we doing to reach them? That's all I want to know. What are we going to do to reach those people? What am I doing? Have you, any of you guys seen, you know, Penn and Teller, the comedian? Guys, have you, have you seen the YouTube video that Penn Gillette put out? If you haven't, YouTube it sometime and, and just YouTube uh, Penn Gillette. Um, he tells a story about having a, a Marine come to one of his shows one day, and after the show, he came to the front and, and managed to, he couldn't get to Penn, but he managed to get to one of his uh, security guards or somebody, and he, and he pressed a small testament on the, and he said, please give this. I, he just was really insistent, please give this to, to Mr. Gillette. And, and the security guard, in honor of, of this man's service to our nation, said, okay, I'll, I'll do that for you, and I'll tell Mr. Gillette this was a Marine, and he wanted me to give you this, and and so he got it, and Gillette came on uh, on YouTube or created a video that began to circulate, and he, he talked about this, and he talked about that young man's passion, and, and he talked about this thing that he read, and he said, I've got to be honest with you. I'm not sure I believe a word of this. I'm not sure I believe there's a God. But if you believe it, how did I get this old before somebody told me? If you care about me at all, how could you let me get to this season of life and not warn me that you believe it? And it was just so stunning to me as I sat and watched that and I cried thinking about I've made some efforts to reach some people, but I haven't done enough. And I hope that challenges you a little bit to the core of your being. Luke 19, 10, Jesus said, And I, the Son of Man, have come to enjoy all the pleasures of this world. Is that what he said? I've come to make a few friends and stop opening them up to anymore because i got enough. No? I've come to establish my comfort zone and then work hard to maintain it. No? What did he come for? I came to seek. Read it with me. I come to seek and to save those who are lost. And he considered it so important that he gave his very life to accomplish it. Not only is that who he is, but he passed that mantle to us. It's our job now. The fourth reason that I think a lot of people do, don't share their faith uh, is simply because we like the competence. And a lot of Christians I know are motivated. 
They hear a sermon like this and they say, go, yeah, man, great preaching, Keep, go for it, yeah, I got it. They got desire. They even know any number of people who need Jesus. They're just not sure how, not sure how to do it effectively. And so the result is they, they get so intimidated. We talked about uh, confidence a minute ago, but, but, but here's what I need you to hear me say is, is it's not about being able to say the right words. It's not about you arguing them into the kingdom because you've never argued anybody into the kingdom in your life. I've got a master's degree in biblical studies. I've never argued anybody into the kingdom in my life. doesn't work that way. It's all about being ourselves. And yes, you do need to be able to communicate clearly, and we're going to teach you that during this series. Because uh, somebody told me yesterday, said, you know, the gospel, in fact, it was Mike Moss is one of our group leaders with Navigators. Mike said, you know, uh, the gospel can be uh, irritating, obnoxious. What was the word? Offensive. The gospel can be offensive. The problem is that most of the time people aren't offended by the gospel as much as they are by the people who were trying to tell the gospel. Right? Like the guy on the bus who hit everybody on the bus as soon as they got to turn or burn, die and fry while we go to the sky, hit them with a two-ton Bible. And one day the drunk got on, obnoxious Christian, said to him, do you know you're going to hell? And the drunk said, you mean I got on the wrong bus again? <laughs> we drive people away because we just don't know how, but we want to try. Hear me, guys. I believe that's why Jesus chose the two metaphors, salt and light, because not enough salt, the food is bland. Too much salt ruins the taste and it's unhealthy. Right amount of salt applied the right way enhances the taste and improves the dining experience. Does that make sense? Without drawing attention to itself at all. I have never taken Kim to an expensive restaurant once in all our married life, enjoyed a gourmet meal, called the waiter over and said, I just want you to know this salt is excellent. But this, this, just, this is compliments to the chef for selecting this salt. What kind of salt did you use? Is this Morton's? Is it a special blend? What, what is it about this salt? You, you, you know why I've never done that? Kim would say, because I've never taken her to an expensive restaurant. I don't know. <laughs> never done that because that's not the nature of salt. It just serves its purpose. Enhances its surroundings. Whether its presence is ever acknowledged or not. In fact, the only time you think of salt is when there's not enough there. Same is true for light. Not enough. Can't find your way. Too much. It's blinding. So we have to be salt and light in appropriate kinds of ways. So let's, let's wrap this up. Let me close it with a homework assignment, okay? Um, there are three key words I want you to think about as we enter into this series, as we pray together. Uh, three key words. There they are on the screen. Brokenness. Credibility, intentionality, say it with me. Brokenness, credibility, intentionality. Just unpack those briefly and I'll close. Brokenness, the truth of the matter is you will not take what I'm saying to you seriously until you begin to pray to see the world the way Jesus sees the world. You will not begin to, to do what I'm saying to you today until you begin to pray, Lord, break my heart over what breaks yours. 
We spend an awful lot of time saying, Lord, bless me in this way. Lord, help me in that way. Lord, bring healing into my life. And, and he is the father who loves to give good gifts to his children. But every now and then we just stop and pray and not ask him for anything other than, Lord, break my heart over what breaks yours. And I promise you that nothing breaks God's heart more than the millions of people desperately in need of a Savior and no one to be salt and light. Credibility, we've talked about, talked about character a minute ago. But hear me, guys, when it comes to credibility, it isn't about intelligence. It isn't about getting your argument right. It, it isn't about all that stuff. Uh, there is some character issues in there. All, all that's true. But all kinds of studies have been done. The number one characteristic for effectiveness at giving life is just sincerity. It's just be real. I'm not getting it all right. You're not getting it all right. It's only your husband or your wife that always gets it right. I mean, come on. It's, we don't get it right. It's just sincerity, not like the comedian that talked about. He said the key to success is sincerity. Once you learn how to fake that, you got it going on. Have you guys seen the new movie, I Can Only Imagine, yet? Mercy Me song, you've got to check it out. I won't spoil it for you. But, uh, but a big part of their journey to, to become the, the Christian band that they are today was when the manager looked at him and said, you've got a great voice, but I don't see you coming through. I don't, there's some stuff in your life you've got to deal with so you're real in your music. And when that shift happened, that's when their ministry exploded. So we've got to come to that place where it's just real, it's sincere, it's a genuineness. That's what gives you credibility, not your intelligence or your argument. And then finally, and we'll close, is the word intentionality. We're going to help you do that over the next few weeks. On your way out this morning, there's a, there's a plastic bag with a kit. <coughs> I'm to, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to walk you through that right quick. <coughs> Some very important things that I'm going to ask you to do and take seriously. First of all, you're going to get five of these. It says, this is your invitation. You can see it on the screens there. This is your invitation. We're going to ask you to give these to at least five people leading up to Easter service on April 21st. In fact, there's another card in there that has a list for five names. We're going to ask you to prayerfully consider thinking of five people who need Jesus that you'll begin praying this week. You'll begin praying maybe even right now. Begin to pray that during this season... God will use you or he'll send someone else to this person that they will come to this church or another God-honoring, Jesus-centered church, and that they'll find Jesus Christ. So you begin to pray for at least five names. The church that we led in, in Chesapeake, when we built the, the main sanctuary, before we put the carpet down, we turned them loose with Sharpies, and they wrote, the na they wrote names like this on the floor. And so under the carpet, all those names are on the floor. There are 15,000 names on the floor of that congregation and not unusual for people to come to me and say, oh, Pastor Jim, you see that guy over there? His name's on the floor. People wrote it in the place where they like to sit. So when they're standing there worshiping, they're also thinking about the people that they're praying that would come to Christ. I had one guy come to me one time. He said, my, this is my first time here. This is a really cool service. Uh, uh, my friend told me to come tell you my name is on the floor and that you would know what that's about. I said, welcome, man. Glad you're here. Five on a card, write those down, okay? Then we've given you some just because cards. I heard there was a stream going in our coffee shop just the other day where somebody got their coffee and said, tell you what, let me pay for the one behind me. And when they came up and the, and the 
cashier said, you know, the person just left, paid for yours. Well, then let me pay for the one behind me. And they had a string of, of 10 or 12 or 15 of those going on. Uh, just an act of kindness sometimes will have a huge impact. Just give them a just because card. This is just because you've experienced a reactive, uh, an act of kindness. It does have service times for all of our locations on it. And then a little pouch to put them all in so you can carry them around. So over the next five weeks leading up to April 21st, we're going to ask you to very simply get intentional about this thing. Not asking you to stand on a street corner with a microphone saying, turn or burn, die and fry. Not asking you to go preach sermons. We're just saying just be available and, and bless people and invite them and uh, just give them a card and, or a just because card is an act of kindness. You may be surprised, but what God will do. The second thing we're going to do during this season is we're going to pray. Did I mention during the sermon this morning that, that we don't do this on our own power? This, this only happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to pray. We're going to press in and pray this thing. And on March 31st through uh, April 20th, leading up to Easter Sunday, we're going to start a 21-day fast. A lot of churches do this at the beginning of the year. We decided let's wait for the Easter season. And so we're going to go into a 21-day fast. We'll tell you a lot more about that as we get closer to it. But I'll encourage you to join us in that fast. And one of the things we're fasting and praying over is this list. On April 13th, we're going to have a day of prayer at all of our locations from 8 to 8, and there'll be a chance for you to you can go to the website today and sign up if, and, uh, and sign up for a block of time. We'll have a prayer guide for you. We're going to fill this place with prayer from 8 to 8 on that Saturday and pray that God will move, and, and, and we'll be praying for the nation and for the church family and for our community, and we'll be praying for all kinds of things. We'll be praying that 50 people come to know Jesus on Easter weekend in one of the ministries of the bridge, so we're going to join together and pray. i got to close, but I hope, my, my prayer is that during these next few weeks that we'll just take a step in to Jesus. We'll just take a step into our faith, and we'll realize that we didn't just get this light for our own benefit. We got it to share. i got to close, but let me ask. Just sit real still. It's just me and you and God for a minute. Of the two scenes that I talked about today, which one describes you best? The coastie laying on his stomach on the ramp of the plane, scouring the seas for the guy who's lost? Or the Massachusetts newspaper reader who couldn't be bothered by the guy who's drowning? Salt is pretty useless if it's left in the salt shaker. Let's challenge ourselves. Let's break out of our comfort zone for the sake of those people around us who desperately need Jesus. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor this morning, if you will. Would you join me around this altar? Just get up. Nobody's going to embarrass you. If you're willing to start this whole season off in prayer as a family, would you just come gather? Let's just have a prayer together. For some of you, it might be a prayer of repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. I've let this slip. I haven't been as intentional about this. I haven't been broken by this. I haven't had the credibility to do this. For all of us, it's an opportunity to begin to pray. The Bible says where two or three agree is touching anything. It's done because he's in it. And I believe Jesus agrees with us 
for the salvation of lost souls. If you can't get all the way down here, just move where you can. If, and if it's one step, just that physical act of moving is an act of faith. Let's pray together. Pray in your own words if you like, but let's, let's pray this prayer together. Father, forgive me for not being more broken, credible, and intentional about this. Give me a fresh start today. Show me five people that desperately need Jesus. And if I don't know five, then put five in my path over the next few weeks. And then show me what I can do. If it's nothing but invite them to church on Easter, then that's what I'll do. If it's engage them in a spiritual conversation, that's what I'll do. But you show me what you want me to do random act of kindness and a just because card. Whatever it is, Lord, you show me what to do. My answer to you is yes. And then we unite our hearts to pray that at least 50 people desperately in need of Jesus would find new life, fresh starts on Easter weekend. Thank you that you're going to use us in ways that will blow us away. We can't wait to see what you're going to do, Lord. With this one and only life that we offer to you, break us out of our comfort zone and use us, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here, being in the altars this morning. Let's press in and pray. God's going to do amazing things. Can't wait to get started next Sunday. Get your kit on the way out and, and be safe as you travel this week. See you next Sunday.